Hey friends, we're so glad that you've chosen to tune into this podcast from Revival Fires today. We pray that this message brings you closer to Jesus. We'd love to host you at our regular Sunday morning meetings, 10.30 a.m. in Dudley. Also check out our website for our upcoming events. We look forward to welcoming you to our next event. All right, here we go. Here is the message. Receive the peace of Jesus. What does that look like? Know the presence of Jesus. I think we're all experiencing that now, especially during our worship. Because as we have shouted at his name, as we have lifted up his name, as we have proclaimed his name and proclaimed his goodness, what he does, he comes down and inhabits. So he's right here now in the midst of our praise. We may have stopped singing and proclaiming, but he's still here. And he's here to respond to your praises and your words and your declarations. We're a declaring church. I don't know if you notice. Most of our songs, most of our worship songs are about declaring and making declarations. That means we're a house that builds. Because it's by the word of God that the earth was framed and made. God declared and it happened. And so we're a declaring house. So the other thing Sharon said was about promises and to walk in his promises. And what that means, my interpretation of it, is no matter what happens, you keep walking in his promises. You may fall over, you may trip up, you get up and you keep walking. Because as you keep walking in his promises, his word becomes true in your life and on your life. Move forward in his power. So his power, I believe, sits behind us and pushes us as we walk and as we move. And that allows us to walk into new places. It allows us to walk through open doors. His power also goes ahead of us to set us up to walk through doors. His power gives us keys. Those keys could be physical keys. Some people may get new houses, but they could be keys of wisdom to unlock doors, to unlock things that have been locked up for a long time in your life. He doesn't make mistakes. So we're on a journey. We're also in an interesting time of the year. We're in spring. And spring is such an important time because it's time when kings go to war. It's a favorable time. You see, the reason they went to war, kings of old, the reason they went to war during the spring is because they had a harvest. And they needed to feed, they needed food for the army. They needed sustenance. We still need to go to war. Jesus has gone to war on our behalf and he has won. There's things we still need to do. And this is the time. And the period between Passover and Pentecost is spring. This is war season for us. It's war season. And it's a war that Jesus has already won for us. But what the enemy tries to do is trick us. 
that we're losers, that we've lost. Sometimes we fall for it. Happens to all of us. But we're a warring church. So in this journey of Pentecost, towards Pentecost, Jesus was murdered. Isn't it interesting we say crucified when he was murdered? Maybe, you know, maybe there's a difference. Well, he's, he was murdered, unjustly killed. And the devil thought that he'd won, but he didn't know the plans of God. He didn't know that God ordained it to be so, and Jesus agreed with the word of God, and Jesus became the lamb for us. So that every sin would be satisfied and met. So there would be no power. So Jesus defeated the power of sin. Every single type of sin. Even the sin you still may feel guilty for. For the things that you've done from your past. Jesus has already dealt with it. His blood to this day still intercedes to the Father. So... There's no need to feel bad. We ask forgiveness and we move on. Because in moving on, we're moving in his power. So we're going to continue to look at what happened. It was really interesting. Um, looking at the book of John and... All the things that Jesus had done, the experiences of the disciples with Jesus, and we could be very much like the disciples. I think we should just go on a journey and put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples. You see, most of them knew Jesus for around three, three and a half years. Did they leave their jobs, leave their careers, give up everything and spend three years walking with Jesus, having experiences with him? You see, John starts the book of John by declaring about Jesus. He starts with a declaration that in the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John had a revelation of who Jesus was. And he knew that the Word became flesh. They had the experience of Jesus turning water into wine. Imagine being there at that wedding and seeing that with your own eyes. Wouldn't that just be absolutely mind-blowing? Because you've had no frame of reference for anything like that before. Jesus then takes a few loaves and feeds 5,000 people. Wow. They seem walk on water. They also saw some disciples leave Jesus. Because they couldn't live the way that Jesus lived. They didn't want to. They witnessed the miracles of healing. You've just heard the testimony this morning of healing. Someone came in in pain. They had an encounter with Jesus. Now there's no more pain. So we get to witness and experience some of what the disciples did. Because we're disciples. They witnessed something else. They witnessed Lazarus being brought back to life. 
Now, that would have blown my mind personally. That is something I'd like to see. Someone being brought back. There's only one person who would want to see someone else brought back to life. Not that I want to see anyone dead, of course, but... They witnessed Jesus entering Jerusalem as a king on a donkey. But they also experienced Jesus washing their feet. They had intimate moments with Christ. And John says there are so many things that they witnessed and experienced that it couldn't be written in books because it would fill the earth. In just three bit years, three and a bit years, they had such a vast array of experiences. So imagine how they would feel seeing Jesus then arrested and murdered, crucified. That must have been so devastating for them. But before that happened, Jesus actually spoke to them about it, which I think was rather good of him. Um, in John 14, he made a promise to them that the Holy Spirit would come and be forever on the inside of them. He will never ever leave you. In fact, Jesus called him the advocate. Someone who comes and speaks on your behalf. You can have an advocate in the legal terms, someone in court. It's a solicitor, a lawyer, a barrister who represents you, speaks for you. That's why you don't need to speak to the judge because there's an advocate that speaks on your behalf. And Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf in every situation. He then went on to say, Peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. I don't give it to you as the world does. He then goes on to say, do not let your hearts be troubled. An indication of things coming that may trouble your heart. And he goes on to say, don't be afraid. We have an advocate. So after Jesus says that, that's when trouble starts, persecution starts. But Jesus has already told them, Jesus has told us, because we're disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Do not be in fear. To add to that, Jesus then says, you will see me no more. <laughs> so imagine you've been walking with God. You've had a revelation of Jesus is God in the flesh. And you've witnessed all that you've witnessed. And then he says, I'm out of here. I'm going. That's going to feel like, wow, really strange. How are we supposed to function when you're not here? But Jesus had already given an answer. He said, you have an advocate. You have the Holy Spirit. He then goes on to say in John 16, your grief of not seeing me will turn to joy. 
which is rather bizarre when you've just said you're leaving. How does that turn into joy? Jesus gets arrested. Peter, who loves Jesus, turns up to the nine three times. I'm not with him. I don't know him. I'm just here watching what happens. And then in um, John 19, Jesus is executed. And then his disciples and family have to witness that, which is much be one of the most awful things to experience and see. Someone that you love killed. Especially to the background of the religious men cheering and shouting, being pleased. And I wanted just to put ourselves in that position in a, in a modern day context where they said we're being persecuted on the same scale that the disciples were being persecuted. And we've gathered here at church. It means that we would have had to have left our homes, left our belongings, our possessions, because we wouldn't be able to bring all that we've got with us. Limited bathrooms. Limited food. That's a tough situation to be in. But that's the situation that the disciples were in. And then as we move into um, John 20. Turn your Bibles with me in fact to um, John 20. And we're going to look at verse 19 to 23. It's also on the screen. And he says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered together, with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I think Ryan was talking about peace a few moments ago. Peace be with you. In the midst of a storm, in the midst of difficulty, peace be with you. Great words. How does it feel in reality? You're left home, fear of your life. The guy that you worship called Jesus has just been murdered. You've seen it. Now you've left home and you're now with the family of believers sitting here in revival fires. We've locked the doors, rolled down the shutters because we're now living in fear. Because we're under threat. What does our conversations look like? How do they sound? How are we relating to each other? How are we reacting to all that's going on on the inside? Because every one of us is an individual. And we're going to respond differently in a crisis. We're not all going to be happy clappy. We're not all going to be saying, oh, but Jesus said don't be afraid. We'll have emotions of trauma. Maybe from our past, maybe from the present. But then the Bible says that Jesus appeared. I doubt he knocked on the door and said, let me in. I think he 
Maybe he came through the walls or the doors. Maybe he came in from the ceiling. But his first words were, peace. Be with you. And then after this, he showed them his hands and his side. So, we've got to get this in context. Earlier on in John 20, um, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Storm was rolled away. She went and got a couple of the other disciples. And then Jesus stopped her. And she thought he was the gardener. So that means he looked differently to what she knew. His appearance had changed. Because she didn't recognize him. So Jesus now walking into this room. We wouldn't have recognized him. But he said peace be with you. Words that they'd heard before. And then he showed them his side. And showed them his hand. The scars. Those that were there would have known. That happened to Jesus. It only happened to Jesus. It didn't happen to the other two that were crucified on the cross. Then they burst into joy. In fact, the Bible said they were overjoyed. That's really interesting. So they've gone from a state of fear to being overjoyed in a sentence. That's the effect of Jesus. He can transform any situation like that. In one worship song, half a worship song, in one sentence. If you believe, you will be transformed. He then went on and said again, peace be with you. He said it twice. Now, I became interested in this because why would he need to say it twice? What was he trying to communicate? And so I was, you know, before we were even formed in our mother's womb, you know, God fashioned us and he made the real us. Yeah, he knew the real Ryan. He knew the real Hannah. He knew the real Gary. He knew the real Margaret. Not the people we know today that we see every day, but he knows the real them because God knitted them together as he intended. And he's done that for every single one of us. So when Jesus said, peace be with you, what he was saying was, I'm speaking to that complete person that God made from the very beginning of time. He wasn't just saying calm down because he would have used different words. He was, it was actually a call to their inner self to say peace. Because that word peace means wholeness. Most people who say, my brother-in-law says the word peace all the time. And it's a greeting and it's also when you say goodbye. But I believe in this context, Jesus was calling their original nature out from what they were going through. You see, when we are under threat, when we're in a crisis, 
we feel different sometimes to how we would do on a normal day. We may respond to others differently. If you're a mother, you know what it's like when your kids want your attention and they don't want to give up. Same with fathers. But in a crisis, and the disciples were in a crisis, they were in fear. You see, they did, they knew what they'd just done to their Lord and Savior without any fear, without any threat. And they thought, am I next? Could I be next? They were living under pressure. And it's easy to be knocked off course in our daily lives. We could get a bill, an email, come through that says, hey, here's your electric bill, here's your gas bill. And it's, and that could knock us off our course for the rest of the day. It's easily done. We could get a phone call from somebody. We could be at work and maybe our boss had a bad evening and we've walked in morning and your boss just growls at you for apparently no reason. It's easily done. That can affect our emotions. And we can have a, a whole combination of things happen at one time to put us in fear. Maybe you responded to your boss in an inappropriate way. Now you're thinking, am I in trouble? How much trouble? Am I going to lose my job? If I lose my job, how will I pay the bills? I've got to go home and tell my wife or my husband or somebody else or just relate that, oh, this is what I did. I've done something really stupid and, ah. Oh. And now you're in fear, under threat, in crisis. But Jesus turns up and he says, Shalom. And he calls out what's inside of you. He called out what was inside the disciples already because he'd already given it to them in John 14. He already gave them peace. He gave them a sense of immediate well-being. That word shalom, it means health, full health. Physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, every aspect that you can think of, every place in your body, your mind, your thought process, your soul, that is agitated with a situational thought or an event either from today or from yesterday or from a previous generation that's been carried in your bloodline because it happens. Jesus said peace to that situation. And maybe there's some of us that has multiple situations going on. Let's face it, who's only got one problem here? But Jesus spoke to that in the lives of the disciples and he's speaking to that now in our lives. That immediate sensation of conflict, agitation, disruption, fear, feelings of impossibleness. Jesus speaks to that right now. And he brings our soul, our body, our DNA back into that state of wholeness. What happened with Sandra that came in with pain, her body was responding 
to something that had happened previously, trauma, there was an operation. And now her body's responding to that. But what Jesus did when she responded to his name, Jesus said, peace. And her body responded to that word. Because the words of Jesus goes beyond every situational thing. It is his name above every other name. So when we call upon the name of Jesus, there has to be a response to it. Because that is the name. It's like an umbrella. It sits over to protect you for what's coming down on you. Shalom. It means no more hostility. It means no more warfare. It means total satisfaction. It means a coming together back to how things should have been. How God created you before you were formed. That's what Jesus does. Those are only his first words. But it was important enough for Jesus to repeat it. And I believe he was calling out our individual nature of how he framed us. And I'm talking about us now, not the disciples back then. And this is what Jesus is doing in this time frame. In this time frame, one of the principal words that Jesus would say to us is peace. And when we call upon the name Jesus... You know, I used to, growing up, I used to wonder why, you know, my spiritual mom and dad, you know, sometimes you'd be sitting there, could be watching TV, and you just hear the word Jesus. And didn't understand it. Sometimes mom would be in the kitchen and you hear, oh, Lord, Jesus. <laughs> I'm now starting to understand in my older years. Because at the mention of that name, you attract him. And everything else bows down because of his presence. And his presence is all powerful. His presence is within us and around us. The Jews believe the reason they don't say the word God because they believe he's the very breath that you breathe, that he's everywhere around you. He is. The more we recognize it, the more we begin to walk in his power. It pushes our faith. When Jesus showed his hands and his side, I think it was proving to them that it's me. People talk about doubting Thomas. Thomas asked the question, Jesus showed the others without them asking. Because I think he looked different to what they knew him to look like. Jesus likes to comfort us. He likes to make us feel secure in him. And I believe that's another reason why he shows them. To say, look, I'm here. You're not alone as you think you were. And then that changed, that grief then changed into being overjoyed. So what does joy look like? I mean, if Jesus walked in a room, I think we'd all be happy. We'd all be ecstatic. 
But why would we? Would we just be happy to see him? Look, there's Jesus. Or would we be happy because of our position of knowing who he is? You see, I think once Jesus had told them peace and called out who they were, their wholeness, their completeness, their well-being, and they realized it was him, the Bible talks about joy. But in this situation, he said that they were overjoyed. That's going beyond joy. And that word joy speaks of being transformed. It means that you're in a different state to what you was previously. And I believe that the disciples clicked back into knowing who they were rather than the condition that they were in. You see, it's easy, very easy to respond out of our condition, out of all the things that are happening to us. But Jesus had told them that I'm sending an advocate someone that will speak and do things on your behalf Jesus told them I'm going to a place to prepare somewhere for you so Jesus was explaining to them that I'm changing your position you see our position now as believers because of what Jesus has done is that we're seated at the right hand of the father that's an amazing position to be in and that's what I believe Why they were filled with joy. Because once they remembered whose they were, rather than the situation that they were in, I believe that then caused a transformation in their thinking, in their reaction. And as we remember whose we are, and not where we are, and not what we've been through, that then gives us the power of joy. Because that's then the Holy Spirit working within us. Our advocate our friend, our helper. He then goes on to reaffirm all that he had said previously. Jesus desires for all of us to be complete. He desires for all of us to walk in the fullness that he has for us. The fullness that he has for us, he ordained before we were even conceived. Isn't that incredible? But it's all there for us to walk in. It's all there for us to live in. It's all there for us to enjoy. And then that joy, we get to share with others. We get to be disciples. It's easy to forget our position by the experiences we go through. Um, Towards the back end of last year, I had a dear friend of mine. We've been friends for nearly... 40 years or so, he was rushed into hospital critically ill. Um, Doctors told his family, don't bother hanging around, go home, keep your phone on, we'll give you a call. You know that's not good news when medical staff say that to you. And um, when one of his relatives rang me, at first I was like, no, the power and name of Jesus. And I started praying around other believers and we were praying and then after a couple of days, I started to wane. And the reality and the gravity of the situation began to take hold of me. And I began to lose my faith in what Jesus could do. It's easily done. I rung one of my friends 
who's not a believer yet. And he said to me, what chance have we got if you're giving up? You're supposed to be a man of faith, was what he said to me. I felt pretty small. And a few other ways. But it meant I had to go back to God. Because I had a challenge on my hand. I've got a non-believer who I've known for most, all, nearly all of my life, since I was five, telling me, well, you're the believer. Do something. What about this Jesus that you go and worship every Sunday, you know, that you talk about all the time? Where's he? So as I went back home, doing things, and the Holy Spirit started speaking to me about my position. And Holy Spirit said to me, in this situation, I'm calling you to disrupt the plans of the enemy. Clear as day. How do I do that? Pray. Bring the name of Jesus into that situation. And I believe as I started to pray, the peace of Jesus came on me. And the words I'd said previously about I haven't got the face for this were no longer my words. I started praying about disrupting the plan of the enemy. I started asking Holy Spirit, tell me what to pray so I can disrupt this plan. Who do I need to pray for and how do I need to pray? So Holy Spirit then reminded me of a situation about 15 years earlier when my mother was critically ill in hospital. And my friend that was sick, his mother had called together a prayer team. And they started praying for all the doctors, all the nursing staff, all the equipment, all everybody that was involved, everybody that made the tea, brought the meals, everything. So I started to write a list. And I started to send messages out to believers. And those believers sent that message out to their prayer groups. So now all of a sudden, my friend had a number of people, most who didn't know him, praying for him. What happened? Holy Spirit reminded me of my position. He's now back to full-time work, by the way. Holy Spirit will reaffirm our position. So the next thing that happened was Jesus breathed upon them. And it's really interesting. And he said, receive Holy Spirit. Now, in previous chapters, he had said to them, Holy Spirit will come. But now he breathed upon them and said, receive Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing about that portion of word is that it only happens once in the New Testament. It never occurs again. The other place it occurred was in Genesis 2, verse 7, I think. And that's when God formed man. So God formed man, and out of the dust of the ground, all of creation had been made, and God blew his breath into Adam's nostrils. And that's a significant thing. Because I believe that we're in a time where Holy Spirit is breathing upon us again. And in that breath from the Holy Spirit, I believe that things will be dismantled 
that have been troubling us and causing us to live in fear. And we had a demonstration of that this morning. You see, I believe as Holy Spirit breathes upon us, I mean, we're in a time where there's about 34 days until Pentecost. And I believe that Holy Spirit is going to turn up in our lives and start to do things that had never been done before. Experiences that we've carried with us, things that have kept us bound, Holy Spirit is going to breathe into that situation. So some of you that have been walking with sickness for 20, 30 years, and under sickness appears to be a friend in your life, God is going to break that off. Some of you that have been living with trauma that causes you to react in a particular way in a negative situation because it reminds you of what's happened. Holy Spirit is going to breathe in that situation. Holy Spirit is going to cause doors to open that you've never imagined ever opening. Some of you have been dreaming about jobs and promotion and been frustrated that you've not been able to get through. I believe in this season, there's going to be testimonies about new jobs, new doors opening, new keys. I believe as Holy Spirit breathes upon us, he's going to bring a new measure of hope into our lives. That our thinking is going to be transformed so that we shall now start to speak from the position that we hold as disciples rather than the condition. And all we've got to do is receive the Holy Spirit. You see, the great thing about Christ, he does it for us. When you look at every other religion, you've got to work your socks off. Not with Jesus. He prayed the ultimate price, and then he keeps on giving. Time and time again. So in this season, expect a fresh Wind of Holy Spirit on your life. You see, like Ezekiel, some of us are in the valley of dry bones. We don't know which way to turn because everything looks dead. But he asks the question, can these dry bones live? And the answer is yes. And all we've got to do is call upon Holy Spirit and say, breathe upon me, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, make all things new. You see, when we got saved, we became a new creation. But the work doesn't end there. Holy Spirit is still breathing to make all things new in our lives. So it doesn't matter what your situation is. There's some people that's walking in unforgiveness and it's doing this to you. You're trying to move, but it's holding you back. As you forgive, Holy Spirit will come along and cut that cord. And it's going to set you free. And you're going to move forward in power. You're going to be able to move forward in hope. You're going to be able to move forward step by step walking with God. Some of us need wisdom. How are we going to navigate the path ahead? Holy Spirit will breathe. And wisdom will come. The four Ps. The peace of Jesus. The presence of Jesus. His promises. And moving forward in his power. Because of time, I'm going to cut this short. But I want you to do something with me. I'd like you to stand up. 
I'm going to read something over you. It's a scripture, but it's a declaration. Um, since we're a declaring church, declare God's goodness and his mercy over you every time of the day. That doesn't mean once a day. Just like my mum and dad, they're just, you just hear the word Jesus come from anywhere in the house. And what you're doing is attracting his presence. Can you discern this new day? This is from Song of Solomon's, chapter 2, verse 13. Can you discern this new day? This new day. Every day is a new day. A new day of destiny breaking forth. That means you have a destiny. You are not stuck where you are. Breaking forth, you are moving forward in power. You are breaking through and overcoming obstacles. Whatever those obstacles are. The scripture says it's breaking forth around you. That means that you're in a bubble. That means what was once hurting you can no longer get to you because you're surrounded by breakthrough. We've seen the early signs of God's purposes. And we'll get more of those as the testimonies come in. Because the testimonies will empower you. They will invigor you. The life groups that you go to will invigor you, will empower you. When you come next Saturday about your gifting, it will invigor you, it will empower you. These things are not by chance. The early signs of my purpose and plans are bursting forth. The budding vine of new life are now blooming everywhere. So that means you're going to see things differently. Even when you see problems, you're going to see opportunities. And as you ask for wisdom from Holy Spirit, he will tell you how to overcome those difficulties, to turn the trouble into opportunity. Because that's what he does. He's a way maker. How many times have we sung that? But this is what he does. All we've got to do is believe. So the budding vines of new life are blooming everywhere. There's a fragrance of their flowers whispers. Imagine that, a fragrance whispers. And as we move in tune with Holy Spirit, we're going to hear things that seem ridiculous talk to us. <laughs> it won't just be the human words. We're going to hear in our spirit what our advocate is saying. There is a change in the air. There is a change in the air. You are no longer going to be how you were. There's a change in the air. That is my declaration over each and every one of you. That there's a change in your air, in your environment, in your home, in your workplace, everywhere you go. Because you are that change. You are the one that is walking with Holy Spirit who is the agent of change. There's change in the air. Arise, my love. This is what Holy Spirit says, arise. That means wake up, get up. Wake up, get up. That's what he wants. Because when we wake up, get up and start walking with Holy Spirit, this is where we're going to see breakthrough. He's going to blow our minds. I truly believe that. 
there's going to be such an attraction on your life that you just won't be able to work it out. And it won't be because of anything that you've done. It's going to be purely the work of God blessing you, keeping you, and making you for breakthrough. This is the timeline that we're in. And then he goes on to say, run with me to the higher place. We're unique in all the creation. We get to walk into heaven and we get to bring it back to earth and rejoice and live in that power because we are carriers of his grace. And he finishes by saying, for now is the time to arise and come away with me. So I speak to you as disciples. Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the power of God, the breath of God will begin to blow over your lives from this day forward. That you will experience things that you've never experienced before. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to come and testify about it. We're going to build up a church and we're going to build up each other. And God is going to make you whole. Thanks for listening. Stay connected, be resourced and equipped by subscribing to our YouTube channel, our podcast channel, and following us on social media at Revival Fires on Instagram and Facebook. If you've been impacted by this ministry, why don't you consider investing and sowing a gift? Visit our website for details on how to give.